I'm excited, okay? And not just because there are developments out of New York that we're gonna get to momentarily, potentially, but because one of my favorite people is joining us today, Ben Carollo. I just love the commentary from you. I wanna get it right, host of Bleep Blomp Ben on Twitch. Yeah. Breakdown contributor. Um, you're just a fine individual. And I want you to expand and pontificate and really bring it home today. I'm Sharon Reed. This is indisputable. I'm in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Yes, he continues to have me back. I'm excited about that too. Uh, but we should begin with what I alluded to. I mean, it's what everyone's talking about. We have no choice, right? So let's go to New York. And there he is, Donald Trump, who's doing a lot of talking on social media. Yes, Trump and the GOP are reacting to possible pending indictment. Donald Trump took to his social media site Truth Social to rant about his possible indictment and arrest, including saying that New York County District Attorney Alvin Bragg should be arrested instead of him. Can you imagine the great New York City Police Department, correctly referred to as New York City's finest, who for the first and only time in history endorsed President me and honored me as man of the year. Having to defend and protect the defunders and cop haters of the radical left that want to put their greatest champion and friend in prison for a crime that doesn't exist. All the while, the Soros backed DA allows murderers and other violent criminals to freely roam the sidewalks of New York. Well, that's the statement from Donald Trump. We can fact check it if you need us to. I don't know if you need us to, but we'll move on because the Speaker of the House is reacting. Here we go again, an outrageous abuse of power by a radical DA who lets violent criminals walk as he pursues political vengeance against President Trump. I'm directing relevant committees to immediately investigate if federal funds are being used to subvert our democracy by interfering in elections with politically motivated prosecutions. That Kevin McCarthy, who is he directing? Aren't they directing him? I mean, he's a figurehead, right? Didn't we already establish that? At any rate, McCarthy would further comment during a press conference. Let's watch that. It doesn't matter what side of the issue you're on. It doesn't matter if this was President Trump or if this was a Democrat. It should be equal justice in America. And stop going after people because you have political differences. I don't think people should protest this, no. And I, I, I think President Trump, if you talk to him, he doesn't believe that either. I mean, I think, I think the thing that you may misinterpret when, the, when President Trump talks, when someone says that they can protest, he would probably be referring to my tweet educate people about what's going on. He's not talking in a harmful way, and nobody should. Is he for real? Uh, ben, <laughs> I was, I'm gonna go on with the rest of it, but I do need to pause there and allow you an opportunity to protest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they always say this, like, like this is just a standard Republican game. It's just like how when they will say something unbelievably racist, and then after that be like, well, I to be clear, I'm I'm not racist. I've never been racist, and I'll never say anything racist. It's just like this, where it's like, now 
I'm saying that people should be very against this and maybe have their voices heard about it. But I'm not saying that people should protest this or interfere with like the legal process or anything like that. It's just they're speaking out of both sides of their mouths because I mean, I would say they think they're clever enough to evade any type of criminal prosecution for incitement. But the unfortunate reality is, is that a combination of our legal system and the Democratic Party is so feckless and weak that unfortunately that is enough to evade any sort of legal consequences for what, in my opinion, at least going back to January 6th, I think that should have been considered incitement and charged. And like Donald Trump should be being arrested for completely different reasons. Um, but like, trying to call for all of these things like and trying to make a big fuss about this. Like I feel like they know what they're doing. Um, they're just saying that that's not what they're doing because they want just a teeny tiny bit of uh, like plausible deniability. Yeah, I mean, who raise your hand if you are out there and you actually don't understand what's going on here, okay? And might I say, Ben, another reason to love you, I have not heard the word feckless. And I fell in love with it when Samantha B said it. <laughs> Since she uttered it and got in all that trouble, she should have never apologized. She should have never apologized, okay? I understand it was coupled with another word, but it is what it is. Love that you used that word, and it's now just coming back for me. Um, but you're exactly right. I once left a boyfriend and said, listen, I'm not leaving you, but I am moving to another state. <laughs> now you figure out what that means, okay? <laughs> Let's go on. Concerns of violent reaction to a Trump arrest. One thread on Reddit Saturday shared by Daily Beast reporter began by talking about the Patriot moat. Is this real? Yes. Circle around Marlago that would protect Trump. Someone then asked what they would do if the police use helicopters. A reply said that they would shoot the police down. Okay. Response from the police about the issue. The Daily Beast called both the Palm Beach police and the NYPD. While the former wouldn't respond, the NYPD said their officers were, quote, closely monitoring social media as well as intelligence from federal authorities and other police departments to assess the size of any protests. Let's hope their intelligence is better than that from January 6th. Remember? Was anybody talking to anybody? NYPD's response plan. There is a plan in place that would allow the NYPD to deploy about 700 officers in a disorder control from the strategic response group. Huh? They would also deploy a level four alert, which would ensure eight officers, one sergeant, that would be on alert in every precinct. They didn't say whether the NYPD officers were willing to quit their jobs instead of arresting the former president. Isn't that the crux of the matter here? Part of Donald Trump's truth social statement that was not a lie was that there are members of law enforcement, Ben, who, well, they love him. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and that's kind of one of the harsh, unfortunate realities. I mean, look, we've seen across the country where you have organizations like the Proud Boys and various like white supremacist militias and things like that, that will literally all but directly coordinate with police officers. I mean, if you look at protests across the country, you will see very, very consistently police officers protecting literal Nazis from like counter protesters or even like, like if Nazis show up to a drag show, uh, and you have people that are there to, to be in support of the drag show. Who are the police officers protecting? And somehow magically, it always ends up being the Nazis. 
Uh, funny how that works. Um, so that is like an element of truth. But there's really two things that are gonna be operating in conflict that exist within the culture of policing. And first and foremost, which I think is gonna be the primary dynamic in any situation like this, is police officers both desire to exert needless authority on people. Like, let's just be real. We see how they act during protests, and it does seem to be that they really enjoy um, you know, like like large protests because, you know, I mean, a lot of violent people join the police officer force because they want to use you know violent force against people. Um, and so there's that dynamic of I'm the police officer, I define the situation, I'm in control of this. Um, conflicting with the, yeah, I do think that not only the police as an institution, but largely the legal system as well is designed very specifically to protect people like Donald Trump. Uh, we have a system that is very much oriented towards protecting uh, not only capitalists, but wealthy white men, right? Specifically, uh, our entire legal system was literally designed by wealthy white men to protect their status and power over everybody else. Um, and so, like those two things are in conflict with each other. I think a lot of it is probably going to end up being if there is protests, uh, basically police officers pushing back against the, the protesters a little bit, uh, maybe even arresting some of them if they get out of hand or anything like that. But I think there definitely will probably be a general sense of what are you doing? Why are you protesting us? Don't you realize that we are here to make sure that everything's fine with Trump? Like uh, it's like we have your backs. Why why are you protesting us in this way? I think is, is probably gonna be really the vibe. And that is really unfortunate. And it is something that I wish Democrats across this country would grow up and recognize. Um, because like ultimately where we are today, we cannot treat police as though they are a functioning part yeah. of any type of democratic system. It seems very clearly that they are very distinct from any elected government. And that unfortunately elected officials are legitimately terrified of police officers when it comes to actually putting in place any type of structural change that would make the situation any better. Do you recall January 6th that, I'm sure you saw it. There was that one little piece of footage where the officer was actually taking selfies with these derelicts, these insurrectionists, these treasonous people, okay? So I just want you to predict if you can, and I don't, I know you're not in the game of predicting things, but you'll play along. Who will have at the end of any arrest day, the max number of arrests, protesters or counter protesters? Who do you think will have the larger total from NYPD if this happens? Yeah, I mean, if this happens, like, I don't know if there are any counter protests planned. So I think that will really like, I guess, like determine that factor. But I'm assuming there's like a- Just walk the perp walk, but I don't know about other people. I'm gonna be right in the house with some popcorn. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, this seems like the type of thing to not counter protest and like just let them, let them deal with their own business between each other, right? Um, but if there was like a, a sizable counter protest, like honestly, I would say like six right wingers would probably get arrested, and then like 20 counter protesters wow. would get arrested. It's just like my ballpark, but I genuinely have no idea because I do not know if anybody's planning any type of counter protest. Well, the rule of law shall prevail, Ben. And that means that a brother, Alvin Bragg, must, must be called up to Capitol Hill and Jim Jordan and the others are going to have to, you know, question 
the brother from the Manhattan DA's office about funding for this investigation and is it political? Welcome back to Indisputable, I'm Sharon Reed. In for Dr. Rashad Ritchie, very special co-host, our, our guest host today, Ben Carollo. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we always love your commentary. And as we launch into this next story, the theme stays with the police. White supremacists calling a black cop the N-word. That's your title, white supremacist neo-Nazi John Menadio called a black West Palm Beach officer the N-word. And then added in a homophobic slur for good measure. It happened this past Saturday. Watch. White like you, I don't give a about either of you. The only thing that's stopping us is your, you, you guys got your badges on. It's the guns, it ain't the badges. That's it. Clowns. Quit licking your lips, dude, it's weird. Okay, so right now we're investigating a littering crime, citations, and I need identification from everyone here. If not, you're going to go to jail. Littering crime. Yes. I have to go and grab my backpack. Yes, I do. Yeah, my ID is in my backpack. This is getting in my face. Sir, would you like to get Yeah, I would. Away from this. See this? See what he's doing? He's intimidated. Can I get in here? Aggressive. No weapons in here. Shut up. No weapons. Sir, I'm going to take this. This is me. I'm not taking it. I'm going to put it right here while you get your stuff, okay? This is the hard part, man, huh? When I call you in your face and you got to act like a white man and detain yourself, huh? This is hard for you, huh? Your low IQ wants to fucking attack me, doesn't it? Over a word, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You are a science experiment from the Jew. You're all free to leave. Have a good day. All right, Officer Testosterone, Mystery Meat Hybrid. All right, see you later. Keep it simple. Yeah, shut up. Shut up. No one cares about your gay opinions. Follow the law, you. Hey, shut the up. You. So many observations, so little time. It makes your skin crawl. We've heard ugly like this before. Sadly, too much of it, right? We've heard this so many times before. But also privilege, privilege, privilege. I'm thinking about here because I think. Had the person spewing this garbage looked a different way, there wouldn't be the same outcome. Volusia Sheriff Mike Chitwood shared the video on Twitter to commend the poise the black officer demonstrated in the face of such targeted hate. Chitwood also noted on the losers making $33 while live streaming the encounter for hours by stating that 9,000 had been raised for anti-hate programs just by condemning and making fun of scum like Medadio. Hmm. Background on the incident, according to WPBF News, investigators with the West Palm Beach Police said on Saturday afternoon, three men in a rented U-Haul truck threw hundreds of packets containing anti-Semitic flyers around the Flamingo Parks neighborhood. The video showed at least five men, but okay. Per WPBF News, only three men were cited for littering. The only statute on the books police can use. Police confiscated 500 of the hateful packets altogether. Detectives said at one point the three men who threw them yelled at some of the neighbors saying disparaging statements. The three men who were cited on Saturday, which included Menadio, 
had also spread hateful messages in the Old Northwood and Northwood Shores neighborhoods on the north end of West Palm Beach last week. This guy's a real winner. Besides 40 year old Manadio, 60 year old David Young Kim, 33 year old Nicholas Allen Bashim, were the other two men cited for Saturday's incident. Ben, I mentioned privilege because I. We have this this thing that we have to get into constantly, you and I and people like us, where the police have done so much that is so gross that we've had to cover consistently, okay? And I'm not gonna give that disclaimer about not, I'm not doing it this time, okay? I'm not. But at the same time, you have this horrific being, I'm not gonna say human, Ben. I'm not gonna use the word human, just this, Horrific being who's intent on spreading garbage and filth. And I want to get your take on that because it's not easy for us to break down this dance of disparaging disgustingness. Yeah, no, the unfortunate reality is, I mean, this is like everything about this is so infuriating because look, like, I wouldn't walk up to a police officer and obviously not say the n-word, but even just like, you know, even just do anything that would be directly insulting to them or anything like that because, you know, like it would not end well, right? As nah. a trans woman, like you got to be like extra polite to police officers. There are tons of different people from tons of different marginalized communities where you got to walk on eggshells around police officers and not just like, you know, calling them names, but even just like disagreeing with them where it's like, "Oh, I actually wasn't speeding or hey, I actually haven't been drinking tonight or things like that can like put you in a terrible, terrible situation or even just like, yeah, I would prefer it if you didn't search my car right now. And like, so so just, just from that like baseline, we need to understand that there's a reason why this man feels like he can say what he said to that police officer, right? There's a reason why it didn't come out of nowhere. And it's specifically because the institution of policing as a whole was quite literally born out of slave catching, right? That is like its institutional origin. And it fundamentally has always been oriented predominantly towards black and brown folks, but marginalized folks more broadly. Uh, the institution of policing has always been a form of targeted harassment and suppression of the interests of like black and brown folks and other marginalized people. Like that has been the whole purpose of the institution. And so policing isn't about making sure that white folks are following the rules or that rich folks are following the rules or anything like that. It's definitely not about keeping people safe. It's definitely not about solving crime because police officers actually solve very, very little crime and spend almost none of their time actually solving crime. I think the real number is about 2% of the time that they're spending at work is like actually solving crime. Um, and, and what about this month during March Madness? It's probably <laughs> down to one yeah. percent. Okay. Yeah. And and so seriously, like all of these things are just so important to understand that there's a reason why this person feels like they can do that. And like the they're like spreading pamphlets. I mean, like it, it's like a whole longer discussion, and there's a lot more to be said about it. But like, I think there are good and legitimate reasons why other countries ban Nazism. I think there are good and legitimate reasons why it is illegal in many countries to pass out pamphlets like what these Nazis are passing out. Um, I know that people will get mad and they'll talk about freedom of speech and this, that, or the other thing. But I think we can all recognize that sometimes 
freedom of speech goes a little bit too far. And I feel like, like exactly, exactly, because it is meant to be intimidating by nature. It is meant to be a threat in nature. It is meant to instill fear. That is why these Nazis say and do the things that they do publicly. Their goal is to create fear, right? And there needs to be a response, right? There needs to be a response, especially when people, when you have Nazis like this coordinating and organizing. The unfortunate reality is like, there's a reason why hate crimes against trans people have skyrocketed, why hate crimes against Asian folks have skyrocketed. There's a reason why you see people like this pushing out Nazi propaganda. At the same time, you see Republicans trying to ban trans people from public. All of these things are connected to each other. And unfortunately, the institutions that we are that we have are designed to suppress the interests of the marginalized people these people are targeting, while also bolstering and protecting the privileged folks that are spreading this. Yeah, and some of those Republicans are sliding into the DMs of some beautiful trans people. Okay, they're sliding into the DMs, and we've covered it here. And we don't care. Listen, do whatever you want to do. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't incite violence because we want people to be and live and exist in their authentic selves. And we want you to let other people do that too. Okay, don't bother me. I won't bother you. It's it's not. It's like the concept. Maybe your grandma taught you. When you were just a little, 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 little tyke. We've got to go to break, but real quick, I do want you to comment because I'm torn. I don't want to tear the police chief down, but praising the police officers for being poised. You're not supposed to react. It's it's disgusting to react to, but I just want to, what do you think about that? I mean, that's just like a whole thing that exists within our culture where if you were marginalized in any way, shape or form, you were just expected by default to tolerate bigotry, to just let it roll off of your shoulders and just be like, oh, you know, they mean well or this, that or the other thing. And, you know, don't take it too hard or, or whatever. And honestly, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I, I think honestly, most people are sick of it because. Like that mentality of, oh, you know, if somebody's being bigoted towards you, you have a responsibility to keep your composure. Uh, no, they're not keeping their composure. And like, I, I think personally, uh, we should all be more accepting of people chewing these people out and really just being like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you saying this? Get out of my <laughs> face. Uh, <laughs> I want to quote, we're going to go to break, but I want to quote a, a great scholar. A great man who said, I'm gonna meet you with that same energy. That was Dr. Richie. Okay, he said that before. <laughs> and I'm for him. Okay, and he does it very eloquently. Uh, this is Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Richie. Ben Carollo is joining us as special guest host today. We're right back. Welcome back to Indisputable. We love TYT, it's a beautiful place. It's a place to share, to commiserate, to fellowship, and to fight, okay? And it's important because of you, the members. And when we say members make TYT possible, it's not hyperbole. From the damage report to indisputable, to unbossed, to the watch list, and the Young Turks. We literally could not do it without you. Just look at the powerful lineup here. It's like the Super Bowl every single day without the misogyny, the bigotry behind the scenes, okay? At any rate. TYT is everything. TYT members support our mission to drive positive change and deliver bold commentary on the stories every day Americans care about. Our members are fighters, leaders, change makers who indeed make a difference. Become a member directly on YouTube. Just click join 
or go to tyt.com slash join to sign up. And we mean what we say, look at the lineup, just leave it up one more second. Hey, these are people on the front lines. There are freedom fighters. Ben, I know you feel the same way. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I know I gush about it, but I actually do mean this. That's my passion. Let's get you some viewer comments. TYT member Eileen Woke Mind Virus Dragon has this to say about Trump and the GOP reacting to the possible pending indictment. Bring on the perp walk. Will Trump's mugshot be with or without to pay? That's a good question. Didn't didn't one interviewer yank on it? Though it might be real. Uh, it might be. Who knows? Cuban cowboy has this to say about the white supremacists calling the black cop the N word. I would smack this POS for sure. To hell with me losing my job. I wouldn't care. It's happened before, where people say, "Not today." You got the right one today, okay? Lynn has this to say, the trash are the persons being accused of littering. Well said, Lynn, that's it. Also YouTube, more about 45 and the GOP reacting to the possible pending indictment. Northside Yang says, so before January 6th, when Trump was saying the election was stolen, was he just being playful or unharmful, right? Cuz this is, it's like deja vu all over again. Tyler Hackner says, no equal footing with fascists. About that white supremacist, Neil Mix says, watch me exercise my entitlement by denigrating another human being. And that's pretty much what it was. Real quick, Twitch, more on Trump. Nerdo Pithecus. Ben and Sharon, intellectual crush overload, I may faint. Now don't do that. Get yourself some water. We want you to enjoy the rest of the show. And we don't want you to need medical attention or anything, but we do appreciate it. We appreciate it. Um, yeah. Oh, one more. Paper Dragon says, maybe don't use campaign money to pay for sex. You have you could use something else. Okay, but you used, and now that had to get reported. Now it's a whole thing. Okay, you did it to yourself. Uh, it's that time of the show. I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You're going to feel free! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Well, now that we got our food, yeah. And you called the police because what? We'll talk to you about outside, man. Actually, called the police on me for waiting for my food? No. For what? No. I mean, for what, though? I think I, we're not causing the scene. You don't want to call me because you won't say why. You know my name. How do you know my name? Yeah, come on. Because now, because now you're making this an issue with my daughter with me. You know what? You, you know what? Do you know what it's like for police officers to approach a black man while he's with his daughter for some reason that somebody at Chick Fil A decides to say is a reason, but they won't say what the reason is. Yeah, yeah, we'll go outside. We'll go outside. Weaponizing a chicken sandwich, or in this case, a five piece. Note to anyone out there who wants to go to the establishment, you might want to give an alias. You know at Chick-fil-A they say, and your name, before they say my pleasure. You might want to give an alias because the police already knew the name. A male care and Chick-fil-A owner calling the cops on a black father. Hmm. Scott Reed, the owner operator of both Marietta locations of Chick-fil-A behaved like a male Karen instructing his manager and employees to hold my five daughters, five 
my daughter's rather five count nugget meal hostage while he implemented a plan to have Cobb County police interact with us. This was an unprovoked incident as we ordered our food and we're told that our nuggets would need an extra minute. That is from Mr. I.C. Green on YouTube. They asked us to pull forward into a waiting spot that already had a black truck in it, and we did. 10 minutes go by, the black truck gets its food, we do not. I yelled toward the kid working the window, hey, we still haven't gotten our food yet. To which he brings me a gift card and says, it'll be another minute. White truck pulls next to us and in the next 10 minutes she gets her food and we still don't get ours. Hmm. This moment I proceeded to drive around so we can go in and retrieve it. I see the manager speaking with two police officers and couldn't help but think, I wonder what's going on here. As I enter, I hold the door for the manager as he instructed the police officers to go around the building to where I was previously parked. My daughter had just had dance rehearsal for four hours and was starving. The owner, Scott Reed, no relation to me, instructed his manager, the dude in the video with the suspenders and employees, to hold her food until he arranged for the police to interact with us. Now, can we put the picture up of this guy? Ben, I don't even know how to make sense of this. Now the police are being summoned to Chick-fil-A to hold up a black man and his daughter's five piece. You know the five piece is the kid's meal, Ben. I may know a little something about that, okay? But until this is cleared up, I too, is this, I can't do it. I can't do it. Your reaction. Yeah. I mean, this is just infuriating, but like this is like, let's be real, right? Unfortunately, there are a lot of small business owners that this is exactly what they want. Cuz like, I kind of want to take this as a case study for the core demographic of the Republican Party, right? This is the, the bread and butter of like Republican voters right here. Because fundamentally, a lot of people make the misunderstanding when they see the statistics that show that Republican voters on average had less formal education than Democratic voters, right? Uh, but also at the same time have on average higher incomes. Now, a lot of people get really confused. They see lower education, they're like, "Oh, obviously these people are just poor people living in trailer parks, right? But they're not connecting the dots. They're not recognizing the fact that the truth of the matter is there is a whole class of people in the United States of America that are basically like these failed children who have inheritances that don't need to go to college, right? They get to be your local small business owner or whatever. And those people tend to be some of the most reactionary folks because they're very set in their ways, because their parents are very set in their ways, because they have no monetary incentive, they have no uh, social incentive whatsoever to in any way, shape or form change their behavior. And that passes down from generation to generation. And those are exactly the type of people that showed up at January 6th. Those are the people that can take time off of their day, that can take a week to go to Washington DC for no reason uh, to storm the Capitol, right? And so that's a whole class of people. And the reason why I'm bringing this all up right now is because these people, Either them or their parents directly remember a day that they could literally just call the police on black folks just for showing up at their restaurant. They do remember when schools were segregated. They do remember when there are separate drinking fountains and things like that. Everybody likes to pretend it's ancient history, but it really isn't that ancient, right? This is more recent than you would think. And so it's interesting that this is happening with Chick-fil-A, right? Um, 
alone because you've seen like, like business owners of the Chick-fil-A variety have mm. been trying to push this idea that they can discriminate against queer folks based off of their religious beliefs. Now, that argument of we get to discriminate against people because of our religious beliefs originally went to the Supreme Court. Um, I believe it went all the way up to Supreme Court. It might have got shot down in federal court, but it went up as a challenge to the laws banning segregation, right? When they banned segregation, they were like, oh, but what about religious freedom? What if it's our religion to discriminate against people? Um, and, and that got shot down. But that is really the reason why white evangelicism exists in the first place in the United States. Because a combination of like the far right, some people in the business community, uh, and some extreme religious zealots saw that as an opportunity and said, what if we repackage racism, sexism, homophobia as yeah. its own unique flavor of Christianity? And this is where all of a sudden the prosperity gospel people start coming out of here, and like, uh, you know, these white evangelicals start coming out of the woodwork. Now all of a sudden, like the 70s and 80s, the United States has more Christians than ever before, except for it's this flavor of you know white evangelicism, and it's largely like organized by these types of business owners. Wow. So this instance, I think, is really just emblematic of what we are seeing from the Republican Party today, which is is this well-funded and coordinated aggressive effort to roll back back the clock on basically everything, right? From like queer rights, gay marriage. Um, all the way to literally at the point of just calling the police on Didn't black folks for, for why. Didn't happen, and you, by the way, you're not gonna read about it because we're gonna ban the books too. Wow, my dear, you are educating today. And I wonder as you were setting up this, this demographic that you were so eloquently describing, if you notice something else, because to me, there's also something else they have in common. It's this lack of curiosity. There's this choice to remain ignorant. Even in the face of here, I have these irrefutable documents and a historical view for you. These same people don't want it. I reject facts and I am not curious. I want to stay in my bubble in my town. Yes? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's really a power trip for them. Like to be real, because it's not that these people don't know, right? It's not that like, you know, like if you're white, it's not that your grandparents don't remember when like there was like segregation and stuff. Yeah. It's that they are exerting power and privilege over other people by refusing to remember, by refusing to acknowledge that that was the truth. And I mean, just it's literally just like the Nazis, how they would pretend like, oh no, we weren't doing the Holocaust. No, no, no. Even though they know they 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 know, right? They literally know, right? And so it's it's quite literally the denialism about the United States' history is actually not in contradiction with these people desire to bring back some of the worst elements of it. It is in fact a testament to it. The fact that they deny it is really in and of, it, of itself proof that they want to bring it back because it is sort of this like power trip to exist in this state of unreality where you deny what you are literally in the process of doing. Wow, I'm, we're gonna move on, but you know what? Keep it up and you might find enough people who say, you know what, I'm not putting up with it. And by the way, you, you made the shakes half the size and double the cost. They often come without whipped cream and cherry, and I'm not interested, okay? And we're not gonna put up with it anymore. Perhaps at this one Chick-fil-A or two in Marietta, Scott Reed. Scott Reed, remember the name, owns it.
Uh, we'll move on, Arkansas, the governor signing a bill to put up anti-abortion monument. Hmm, because that's important. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders on Thursday signed into law the bill allowing for the creation of a monument to the unborn on the grounds of the Arkansas State Capitol. The bill which requires the monument to be designed with input from anti-abortion groups was passed in the state legislature last week by a 60 to 19 vote. It allows for private funding to create a memorial to unborn children aborted during the era of Roe v. Wade. That's according to the bill's language. From the Daily Beast, we got some of these details. It's House sponsor Representative Mary Bentley said its aim was to remember those children were not, we were not able to protect and we will not be able to forget the Republican lawmaker there. Some anti-abortion lawmakers like Representative Steve Unger pushed back on the efforts to legalize the monument's placement, calling it a memorial to an ongoing culture war. That had the feel of spiking the football after the end of Roe. The legislation does not specify where the monument would go on the Capitol grounds, which includes several other monuments, including one honoring the nine black students who desegregated Little Rock Central High School. Capitol grounds also includes a 10 commandments monument that was installed in 2018. So how will it be funded per the legislation? The fund shall consist of gifts, grants, and donations from individuals and organizations as provided under the Monument to Unborn Children Display Act. And other funds as may be provided by law. The fund shall be used exclusively for the purpose of erecting and maintaining a suitable monument on the state capitol grounds commemorating unborn children aborted during the era of Roe v. Wade. She's the governor. Ben, she can do a lot of what she wants. And this vote 60 to 19, to me that says you need to interact with people who don't look like you and don't think like you, even if they're not gonna change your mind. But I want you to react to the pressing need for this first. Yeah, I mean, like just on its face, it's ridiculous. But I mean, like, let's think about this. like. Something around at least 2 million people have died because of coronavirus in the United States since the pandemic started. Are Republicans rushing to put up monuments? Are, are they rushing to put up monuments about the people that have died from coronavirus, right? And that happened like recently, right? Like this, and look, the reason why, like, this is a whole right wing pipeline. This is a whole right wing pipeline. It's really important to understand. The most extreme right, like fascist propaganda, a lot of it is directly targeted towards like like mothers, like new mothers. And this is a huge, huge problem because like rightfully so, there are a lot of people who are like, I'm scared, like I want my kid to live in a safe world. And these these fascists, they come in and say, yes, the world is unsafe. This side of the other thing, Oh my goodness, look how terrible all of these things are, right? And like one of the reasons why they latch onto abortion as an issue and, and they talk about like abortion is because the victims by definition cannot speak for themselves, right? It is the perfect, most uncontroversial like 
victim that you could possibly find, right? There's no uh, fetus that has committed arson or anything like that. There's no fetus that is actually secretly racist or something like that. It's literally just a fetus, right? And so they they turn it into this image of these like perfect, sweet, innocent babies. Ooh, look at oh, look what they're doing to babies. Oh my goodness gracious! Um, and they create all this like fear and terror, and that's the reason why they put up like monuments like this, right? Is it is a really a monument to the extreme amount of like paranoia and fear that like really consumes a lot of suburbia, right? Like and it is part of like this like larger narrative of, you know, your, you know, your household is your castle and you need to keep it safe from the dangerous outsiders and it's it's this whole like common narrative. And and so really this is just like a monument to suburban fear and like the terror that exists among a lot of white suburbanites. Um, over things that really are not problems and things that don't exist. I mean, they keep talking about like crime and all this stuff and like crime is actually going down. Um, and they just don't want to acknowledge like reality. They would choose instead to live in fear. And so when it comes to stripping rights away from women, when it comes to stripping rights away from queer people, like the issue of abortion is one that like these people have like really latched onto as a method to both claim that they are protecting the innocent while they are in actuality victimizing the marginalized and like that is why this has just been a focal point for the right wing because there's no fetus out there that is saying hey i'm actually fine with abortion rights because they quite literally can't say anything and so it allows the sort of unhinged paranoid minds of these like fascists uh, to project whatever image they want onto what they view as, as blank slates. Um, and so, you know, and it all plays into like these larger white supremacist narratives as well about birth rates, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's like a whole entire thing, but like fundamentally at its core, um, like this monument is just really like a sick joke. Uh, it, it's really a sick joke because in actuality, um, you know, making a monument to unborn babies is is just a monument to like just this fear of suburban America. Wow. And to think that another Huckabee will use all that and run for president one day. Okay. So setting it up for an army of very people you talk about to bolster the candidacy. This is indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Much more when we come right back. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Ben Carollo joins us looking lovely in those Michelle Obama arms. Um, I think we make a good team and we have a good time together. Uh, let's get you some, some viewer comments. Ben, TYT members, cheesecake, brownie, now I'm hungry again. No one of color or anyone for that matter should go to Chick-fil-A. It's a bigoted owner and that melts down to the staff. I still don't understand why. There's no good reason why you would call the cops. Male Karen on a black father who just wanted to pick up a five piece horse daughter. She'd been dancing at rehearsal for hours. YouTube, male Karen Chick-fil-A owner, LaRon Harrison says Chick-fil-A ain't that damn good. What you're saying, LaRon, is you can make chicken better, huh? You can make it a little bit better, is yours marinated? Probably can. Low Crow says that cashier looked like he wanted to be a cop real bad. That's why I wanted the picture put up again because there's just something, and I know it's not, you know, it's not evidence, Ben, but when I saw the picture, it looked like 
that guy, you know, wants to be a tough guy and impose his will and is looking for anything to weaponize the police. So you can say, I done good. Can I join you? Can I do a ride along? That's just how I felt about it. Okay. One more for you about the Arkansas governor signing that bill to put up the anti-abortion monument. Donald James X says, I just trip how these people get into power. There must be a block of ignorant voters. Well, I do think that's evidence-based statement there. Okay. I don't people have a right to have differing political views and opinions, but there is a block, perhaps, or more, of people who wish to just act on ignorance. Another one for you now. A GOP donor facing charges for sex trafficking minors. Another Republican Party affiliate now is facing trial on charges for allegedly sex trafficking children. You see the mugshot there. Anton Tony Larazzo, well-connected Republican donor who is going on trial Tuesday to face federal charges for his child sex ring. Here are some of the disturbing details on the case. Lazaro is charged with seven counts involving commercial sex acts with five minors ages 15 and 16 in 2020. He was 30 years old. His indictment touched off a political firestorm that led to the downfall of Jennifer Carnahan as chair of the Republican Party of Minnesota. Here is Jennifer Carnahan, Minnesota GOP chair who stepped down following the unfolding turmoil. Hmm. Lorazzo donated more than $270,000 to over a dozen state Republican Party campaigns and committees while having an especially close affiliation with the GOP chair. Hmm. They like to go to those Vikings games. Lorazzo donated more than $270,000. That's a lot of money. Rose to prominence in the Minnesota GOP after he became part of the team that helped Carnahan unexpectedly ascend to the role of chair. In 2017, their close relationship continued with Lazaro, one of the few invited to Carnahan and her husband's first district congressman, Jim Hagedorn's 2018 wedding in California. That according to Fox 9, the pair hosted a podcast together in 2019-2020 entitled Hashtag Truth Matters. And Hagedorn was the recipient of Lazaro's largest donations to the tune of $31,000. Carnahan also spoke highly of Lazaro's conduct. First podcast episode, Carnahan describes Lazaro as one of the biggest advocates and champions in the Republican Party of Minnesota. The political upheaval follows Lazaro's conduct as several details from the prosecutor's brief outline the deviant nature of the case. Lazaro had a stated sexual preference for young, tiny girls and liked them broken and vulnerable. Once they arrived at Lazaro's apartment, a similar pattern ensued. Lazaro would brag about his wealth and connections. He would give the girls small and young hard liquor. He would take out stacks of cash and offer the girls precise sums of money to perform certain acts with him and with each other. 100 to kiss, 400 for sex, and so forth. He would send them home with cash, vapes, alcohol, plan B, cell phones, and other items of value. Lorazzo, who trafficked the underage girls having cars, send them to his luxury condo in downtown Minneapolis, had networked himself deeply within the Republican factions. Here he can be seen standing with mutual admiration alongside 
some more prolific party figures, Donald Trump, Mike Pence, Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio, Tucker Carlson. These are his friends, I don't know, but he's taking the pictures with him. They all seem happy to do it. Since standing trial, a report revealed that LaRosa was also facing an additional lawsuit for attempting to bribe one girl's parents with $1,000 in hush money and a non-disclosure agreement. This is where he stands. The charges against Lazaro, who has been jailed since his arrest and has been denied bail, carry mandatory minimum sentences of 10 years with a max potential of life in prison. Minnesota GOP contacted, said to have deliberated on the case Friday, but have thus far declined to release an official statement. If it for me, Ben, perhaps you, you wouldn't have to ask me for a statement. I'd be before the camera saying, I don't know this deviant who apparently likes to abuse children. What are those pictures with all those important GOP National Party members say to you? Yeah, I mean, this is just like stories like these are absolutely disgusting. And it's so infuriating the way that like this happens with great regularity, right? This happens with extreme regularity with these right wingers and like, and it's not just right wingers, but it's also like, I mean, they're like, this happens with priests, this happens with people in the Boy Scouts, this happens in like a ton of different like places. And there's so many layers to it. The first layer of it is obviously the problem of wealth and the way that we allow wealth in this country to define whether or not somebody faces criminal consequences. Now, this person is facing some consequence, but like this person is the outlier and that's what should be more sickening, right? That's what should be more sickening to, to people is that this is this is the outlier. And now it begs the question of, well, Republicans are in these circles and we know that this is happening like all the time. Uh, you know, why are Republicans so focused on like targeting queer folks? Why are Republicans so focused on quote unquote protecting children? Why 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 are they focused on all of these things? Well, it's actually quite simple because everything that they say that they're doing in order to protect children actively put children in danger. They actively make it easier for children to be exploited by these people. When they create conditions of economic struggle, they put people in positions where they're more easily to be exploited. When they make it so that teachers cannot teach children about like basic components of like consent and things like that, it makes it easier for children to be exploited. And when they like like when they do things like criminalize queerness it's about like making it easier to victimize young queer people and so what i think is really important to understand is a lot of people will take what republicans say and do and think that is hypocrisy right so like the lieutenant governor of tennessee who got caught like thirsting after twinks on instagram or whatever he's not a hypocrite for supporting you know anti-gay legislation that's not hypocritical of him because you see people like that want queer folks to be more easily exploited these people wow. view queer folks as just objects for their own sexual interests right and so it's not that they're being hypocritical it's that they want people put into positions where they can be more easily exploited and so like fundamentally the way that conservatives view children they view children as property. And that is fundamentally 
why they are so against the idea. That's why they think they're protecting children from like basic sex education in schools or like even just the knowledge of like queerness and things like that. Because what they're protecting children from is anything that would give young people the tools to assert themselves, to protect themselves and to communicate with adults that could actually be protectors in their lives. To communicate with adults that would actually be safe so that they can say and they understand have the language and tools to explain to people around them when somebody's trying to exploit them in this way. And so like everything about this story is just absolutely sickening and it speaks to the depravity of the Republican Party in general in my wow. opinion. Wow, you know, so much of what you said, I couldn't help it, but I kept thinking, remember they didn't, it was a crime to teach the slaves to read, right? Because if they started to read and dream and understand more, boy, that, that would threaten everything, wouldn't it? Wow, Ben. We'll move on to this one out of Denver. Cop there gets, this is pretty unbelievable. And we bring you a lot of unbelievable stories. This, this one, cop, probation after preying on a minor. I'll give you the details on this. Former, now former, Denver Police Sergeant Timothy Hyatt, 45, pleaded guilty to two charges after being accused of propositioning someone he thought was a 14 year old girl in a series of online exchanges. Today, a judge sentenced Hyatt to four years of sex offender intensive supervised probation for charges of attempted sexual assault on a child, a felony, and attempted unlawful sexual conduct, a misdemeanor. He will be required to register as a sex offender and is not allowed to possess firearms. If he successfully completes probation though, this is this right here. The case will be wiped off his record. This guy attempted sexual assault on a child, wiped off his record if he just goes through the program. Hyatt had originally been charged with internet luring of a child, a higher level crime than the two counts he admitted to in a deal with prosecutors. Internet luring of a child is a class four felony in Colorado. That from Nine News. The backstory, the investigation began. February 25th, 2022, when a sheriff's investigator went online posing as a girl named Lindsay, was contacted by someone with the username Hot Guy for Fun 2021, who said he was Tim in Colorado, according to court documents. Over a series of exchanges, Tim described specific sex acts he wanted to engage in with the girl, and the two agreed to meet at a park in Lakewood a few weeks later. The man didn't show up. And the detective noted that his account on a social media site had been deleted. At that point, the detective began the process of obtaining records from social media and wireless companies and concluded that Tim was in fact Hyatt. In a phone call August 10th, 2022, the detective told Hyatt that she wanted to talk to him about his communications with a 14 year old girl. Hyatt said, quote, I got carried away, there's no excuse for it. That's according to court documents. Hyatt also said he was bored and that I know that I shouldn't have gotten on those chat sites. Again, referenced in the documents. He turned himself in the next day, he was arrested, charged. Denver Police Department suspended him 
without pay. Hyatt is no longer able to work as a police officer in the state. He's probably not gonna stay. Once he's finished with his program and hopes, and I believe is the intent to wipe the records, he's probably gonna leave the state and do perhaps his dirt elsewhere. What do you make of this deal, Ben? Yeah, I mean, this is like, this is so infuriating because like everything about our system is flipped on its head, right? If he is a police officer, I mean, like, you'd like, if anybody is going to get the maximum sentence for anything, literally just for any crime in general, like the more power you have, the more the law should apply to you and the more extreme the penalties should be. That is like how a morally decent society should function is that the more power you have, the more scrutiny you should be facing from the public and the more intense pressure you should be facing in order to like justify your actions and things like that. And so in a case like this to see somebody like getting off with like probation, it's just disgusting. And like once again, this is another one of those cases where in a lot of ways this man is the outlier. The truth of the matter is they're police officers who literally threaten to like arrest people or even people who are arrested or sexually assaulting people in like prisons and jails, right? Like especially like correctional officers, this is a known problem across the entire United States of America. And so it is a rare instance that this person is being caught and when he's caught, then he's being treated with leniency. But the truth of the matter is this is rampant across the United States. And like if if like and and that's one of those things that's just so so infuriating because there are so many like other news outlets that aren't TYT that want to pretend that oh no these police officers are all fine and decent people and this couldn't be happening because of course we can't trust marginalized people when they talk about their experiences because why don't they file a police report? I don't know. Why don't people file more police reports against police officers like that are like sexually assaulting them? That's a real big mystery. I don't know. Um, and yeah. it's just it's just deeply infuriating everything about this story that we just treat people like this with so much leniency. Yeah, and in this case, uh, Detective posing as a 14-year-old, um, but that was the intent, right? And you're exactly right. This is a sergeant we're talking about here. He chose law enforcement as a career to serve, protect, uphold the rule of law. And here we go again. I am also been concerned with the coziness. This is a deal, okay? This is a sweet deal that I wouldn't have got, you wouldn't have got. The coziness between prosecutors and police and the bending over backwards here, it seems, to protect this former sergeant. Who, by the way, can go to another state, it seems. Either this is my reading of it. And once this is over and they're cleared to leave and resume a career, which perhaps put him closer to doing dirt against children. The coziness, though, between prosecutors and police, do you think that was a factor here? I mean, I think it like, I can't see how it wouldn't be a factor. Like the unfortunate reality is, is prosecutors spend a ridiculous amount of time with police officers and honestly view themselves as police officers in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, how many DAs refer to themselves as like the top cop, 
right? Uh, you know, the unfortunate reality is, is there's this constant link when in actuality, they should be completely separated from each other, right? Prosecutors and police officers should really have no involvement with each other. And when you add that on top of the fact that like prosecutors just have way, way more money and influence within our system than like public defenders do, you get a system that is so deeply imbalanced where it really is just the police and prosecutors versus every person in the world basically. And so it's really, really infuriating to see that relationship continuing to exist throughout the United States when it really shouldn't. And a functioning justice system would not allow any type of like working relationship between prosecutors and police officers. Yeah, and when you reference what this country is, there's a crusade against educating people and helping people. And that includes children, understand themselves, their bodies, their boundaries. It's a, it's a sick problem. Our society has a real sickness that has to be contended with. This is indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie alongside Ben Carollo. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Indisputable. Dr. Rashad Ritchie has the day off. I'm Sharon Reed. This next story. Is heartbreaking, as are the images, but necessary to tell because it's just not isolated. It's one of the most horrific though. An elderly woman loses 72 pounds prior to her death at a group home. A Michigan woman now suing a group home for recklessly neglecting her disabled 71 year old aunt Bertha Jones, allowing her to starve to death. Ms. Jones, unable to care for herself. Since her birth in 1951, Bertha Jones has needed special care every hour of the day, her family says. According to the lawsuit, the woman was born with a spinal deformity, was born blind and deaf, unable to communicate for herself. She was also confined to a wheelchair and possessed intellectual disabilities. Albert Dibb, the attorney representing the family, and Charlene Jones, the niece and guardian of Bertha Jones, has filed a $25 million lawsuit against the Hof House in Bellevue, Michigan. There you see the residents. The lawsuit alleges, despite her being a resident since 1983, at some point that care was denied. This lack of regard for human life that occurred inside the four walls of the Hof Road home was the cause of her rapid decline in health, her malnutrition, and other injuries suffered by Ms. Jones that consequently led to her untimely and cruel and unusual death, the complaint stated. According to the niece, her aunt's health started to deteriorate in February 2022. In addition to her body frame appearing to be emaciated, her cheeks were not as plump as they once were. When her weight was checked, she was a petite 126 pounds. Jones said she noticed her aunt's behavior started to change. And she did not hold hands with guests as she had done before. She asked the attendants at the facility if they saw anything different in her aunt. And they respond, "Oh, I don't know, nothing's wrong. Then a black star with the details. Late March, Bertha Jones lost 23 pounds according to the lawsuit. And on April 14, 2022, she was transported to the St. Joseph Mercy Hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The elderly woman was brought to doctors early that Thursday because she was found lying in the facility unresponsive. The lawsuit claims that her weight loss 
was even more severe, having dropped down 72 pounds. The Detroit News reported she was in a metabolic crisis characterized by low blood sugar and a buildup of toxic substances in the blood, circulatory failure, and was dehydrated. Per the lawsuit, her cause of death was determined to be malnutrition. This is America. Unfortunately, negligence and mistreatment within the nursing home industry is not uncommon. The lawyer says he has handled several cases against group homes. He noted Hoft Homes was not registered with the state. The certification not required because the residents all had their names listed on the building's lease in 2010. According to Click on Detroit regarding licensing, the suit alleges that the group home dropped its license and went to a tenant landlord situation to accept care there. That may be how they can avoid being sued for oversight and regulation. They did it to get around the law, the regulations. I don't know how you could treat another human being this way, Ben. But yeah, other people are just fine doing that. Yeah, it's this is like everything about this is just terrifying. And because like, look, like, I hate to break it to you, but like, like everybody in the audience, you're gonna age. I'm gonna age. Everybody ages. This is a thing that happens, right? Um, and we need to actually, as a society, take care of elderly folks. That is something that is very, very important. Um, and the unfortunate reality is, we've turned it into a private industry where, if you're an executive of some sort of company that's overseeing elder care. You get to just see people as numbers on a spreadsheet, as profits and losses, as costs to you. Um, instead of viewing people as human beings. Um, and so decisions like this, uh, decisions at the top level end up like leading to behavior like this at the bottom level. And it is really tragic and heartbreaking because like, why don't we just have a nationalized system of elder care, right? Because then you have a public interest. Everybody in the public has people that they love and care about, right? We all know somebody who is like elderly and like about to be in a position like this, or is in a position like this, or at some point in their life will be in a position like this, right? Like we all at some point are going to age and acquire disabilities and need support in our lives. So why don't we just have a democratically accountable system to take care of people? And the reason why we don't have that system is because there are private companies that would rather turn people into dollars and cents instead of just human beings. Wow, Medicare and Medicaid, which people say, oh, we gotta been there, been dealing with it with my own mother. And it is a horrific ball of red tape, lies and nonsense. And in this case, Aunt Bertha Jones suffered a horrible death. We're gonna keep following that story out of Michigan. We're gonna update you finally on Donovan Lewis, the shooter. <laughs> Shot within seconds, died. This police officer gets to retire with his pension. The officer responsible for shooting an unarmed Columbus man who was laying in bed has been allowed to retire. Watch so you can recall the incident. 
We're gonna send that dog in. Hey, I'm He's got something in his hand. Hands, hands, hands. Hands, hands, hands. Hands. Let me see your right hand. Crawl out here. Crawl out. Crawl out. Hands behind your back. Call for a 24. Hands. 4310 started to 24. Get your hand behind. Stop resisting. He's pulling away. Yes. Stomach. Okay. Okay. We got near that. Yep. Officer Ricky Anderson looked and sounded really stupid, ducking down. I want to send those dogs in. And within a nanosecond, shoots a man dead. This is so stupid. This is the best. This is training. This is stupidity. And it's death, destruction, maiming, waiting to happen. According to Atlanta Black Star, Columbus Police Department has stated former officer Ricky Anderson retired in bad standing due to the ongoing criminal and administrative investigations into the death of Donovan Lewis. However, Anderson remains eligible for his pension despite retiring in bad standing. If he is cleared in the criminal probe, his retirement status could be changed to good standing, pending approval of the Columbus police chief. Something tells me if we don't sniff around this story start to finish, if we ever give up on the scent, some things will be done behind the scenes. Because that's how it goes. Anderson did not retire with a spotless record. 2004, we remind you, he was fired. From the department after admitting to accepting payment for guarding a bank despite not showing up for the job. Firing was overturned though by a federal arbitrator in November 2004. According to his Police Internal Affairs Bureau history, including the Lewis shooting, he has had a total of 10 complaints filed against him since 1991 when he started his career with the CPD. February, Donovan Lewis's family. Filed a wrongful death civil lawsuit against the city of Columbus and all five of the white officers serving him the warrant on that night. Claim accuses Anderson specifically of battery, breach of duty, intentional and negligent infliction of emotional distress, failure to render aid, and violating the young man's constitutional rights. The lawsuit further states the officers did not render medical aid to Lewis immediately after he was wounded. They note, not only have they filed a complaint with the Department of Justice arguing he violated their loved one's civil rights, but he called for his termination months ago. Well, they didn't render aid immediately because they had some other things to do. These five white officers were getting together and they had some other things to figure out. Ben, your turn. This young man's life was not important enough. Yeah, <laughs> this story is so sickening and this happens all the time. And it's so like, like I'm so sick of it. How are people, how are more people not sick of this, right? Like how are more people not sick of this? There's there's really so many people out there that are so desperate to have police officers responding to literally everything. Like 
literally, I mean, seriously, was it really a life or death situation? Was it a life or death situation? Well, it was for the person who got shot, but if the police weren't involved, would it have been a life or death situation? Would it have been? Like, that's what police officers do. Police officers bring the threat of death into situations that don't have it. That is like the whole purpose that they have like as an institution is to bring guns to situations that didn't need it in the first place and turns every minor infraction into a deadly encounter. And it's so infuriating because the imbalance here is like it's your life and it's their job. And even then, they're not even really risking their job, are they? Because apparently you can still get a pension anyway, right? And like that's what's so sickening about this is just the the extreme imbalance where like if you're marginalized, you get to just worry every day about whether or not like a police officer is gonna treat you like a human being. Meanwhile, police officers kill people regularly in the United States of America. And what consequences do they face? What consequence? Their biggest fear is that they won't get a budget increase from like the city and they won't get a special toy to play with like a big tank or something like that. And the idea that like there's so many people in America, they're so terrified of cities that they wanna keep giving police officers money is honestly just sickening. And everything you just said, an anti woke movement was born and we have to support the police and we have to stamp out these marginalized communities. What's up is down, left is right. And we're gonna keep telling the truth. Ben, um, remind people where we can find you and see your beautiful work. Uh, yeah, you can always check my content on uh, at TYT Breakdown on YouTube or at Benjamin Carollo on Twitter. And the name of that post of bleep blomp Ben on Twitch, uh, I'm tuned in. I, you know, I love you, and I love your truth to power. And um, I can't wait till we're back together again. And remember, in the words of Dr. Ritchie, keep that same energy, okay? That same energy, Ed. Um, much more um, on Indisputable this week. Dr. Ritchie will return. I know some of you can't wait for that, but we appreciate you allowing us into your home. Um, I love it when I'm on this show. I learn, I listen, and I fight right along with you. Thanks so much, Unbossed is next. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today, but what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly 
taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm-hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's a racist policy, racist policy. Shelly, here's what I don't know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it though.